Some of you will be familiar with the name Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy's a retired U.S. figure skater who became unusually famous because of what happened to her just prior to uh, the 1994 Winter Olympics. She was attacked uh, in order to keep her out of the competition or keep her from winning. Actually, a couple of years before that incident, um, there was a documentary which featured Kerrigan. And as part of the documentary, it, it shows her skating this beautiful routine. And then it shows on the sidelines her mother watching her skate. But her mom is not looking at her directly. She's actually looking at a large TV screen with her face very close to the image uh, because it turns out that Nancy's mother had lost most of her vision, and this was the only way she could watch her daughter skate. And the correspondent asked mom, well, well what can you see when you look at the screen? And her mother said, well, I see a bit of color if I look really carefully, <clears throat> and then I see a bit of movement, I guess, when she jumps, and then she choked up and began to cry. He said, but I can't see her face. I can't see my daughter's face. That's a really painful thought, isn't it? And I was thinking about that, thinking, what, wh why is that so hard? What makes that so piercing to, to not be able to see the face of someone you love? Well, it's because that is a big part of how we connect with one another. That, that's a big part of how we communicate face-to-face. -face. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's the look on the face that most of the time tells us what's going on inside the person. And so if there's a person we love whose face we cannot see, then there is a longing within us for that, for that to happen, to see that person face to face. And it's that longing that the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when he says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, and, and not one of our great mirrors. We're talking about just a piece of polished metal. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Face to face with whom? With our Savior. With our Lord with our king, with our greatest friend. If you are a believer in Jesus today, you have not yet seen the face of the most wonderful, most amazing, the greatest person in your life. But one day you will. 
One day you will. Lee Strobel, uh, an author, former atheist, wrote this. He said, since the day that I met Jesus Christ, I have felt the liberation that first came when he forgave me. I've sensed his presence in my life to comfort me when I've gone through tough times. But I can't see his face, and I want to. I desperately want to. I know that someday I have the confident expectation that one of the promises God is going to deliver for me is that I will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ and I will look him full in the face and it will be the greatest moment in my life. One of the goals of this series we've been in has has been to stir up our hearts and minds so that we also look forward to that moment as the greatest moment in our lives, that we would anticipate it and we would think about it often and we would long for it the way a blind mother longs to see her daughter's face. That can be very difficult to do, can't it? Our culture does not encourage this. And I'm not just talking about all the ways our culture distracts us from this kind of thinking, this kind of longing for Jesus to return. I'm talking about this this widespread idea that if we really think about, if we really long for, if we really anticipate our ultimate future, well, that's going to keep us from caring about the present, the problems in our world today. And and we just won't do what we should do to try to change things. This is what John Lennon had in mind when he wrote his song, Imagine, which has become one of the most popular songs of all time. He writes, Imagine, there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Because if you look forward to the afterlife, you're just going to waste your present life. That's, that's his thought. And I can understand why somebody would think that way. You could easily picture someone, you know, just daydreaming their life away and thinking about the future and neglecting their present, their responsibilities. But I think that's a really really serious misunderstanding of the biblical idea of anticipating, of longing for our future. Uh, If you truly look forward to all that Jesus has promised for those who trust him, it will actually make your life better than if you only think about today. It will make you a better person who does better things. The Bible describes very positive results that happen when you correctly think about and anticipate and long for the future that Jesus promised. That's what I want to look at. I want to show you some of those results. So here's one. 
what looking forward to your ultimate future does for you, what looking genuinely, biblically, correctly, looking forward to your ultimate future, what that will do for you, it will motivate you to pursue holiness. It will motivate you to pursue holiness. Longing for the day when you see Jesus face to face will not make you passive. Contrary to what John Lennon and other critics of Christianity have said. This idea that, you know, if you believe in Jesus, well, you've got your ticket to heaven, so you're just going to, you know, check out, ignore the world, and just, you know, wait for Jesus to come get you. That is not what having a real faith relationship with the real Jesus looks like. People who do that, people who just check out because they think they've got their ticket to heaven, they either don't know what believing in Jesus actually is, or or they just aren't doing it. They just don't really believe in him at all. Okay, It's, it's a falsehood. That's not what believing in Jesus looks like. Look at Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Look at it carefully. For the grace of God has appeared. Okay, that's a reference to Jesus has come into the world and he has uh, lived and died and rose again to give life, to give forgiveness, to give purpose to all those who trust in him. That's what he means. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. It's available to everyone. Notice, training us, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, here it is, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who sit around and do nothing. And who just wait for him to come. No. Who are zealous, eager for good works. See it? There's nothing passive about being saved by God's grace and waiting for Jesus to return. On the contrary, God's grace trains us to renounce, to be done with, to to flee from things that God hates and to pursue the things God loves. Namely, doing good. Jesus saves us to change us. He saves us to change us. He gives us the free gift, and it is a free gift. That's what grace means. He gives us the free gift of salvation to transform us from a life of selfishness to a life that's eager to do good. And I love that. It's not a life of grudgingly doing good. I guess I have to. Eager. Change happens on the inside, inside out. That's what it means to pursue holiness. (laughs) If you hear holiness and you immediately think, ew, that sounds boring. 
That sounds dull. I respectfully suggest, if that's what you think, you have been deceived by the lie that it's sin that makes life fun and exciting. No. No. Sin is what ruins life. Whatever fun and excitement sin offers is always short-lived, followed by emptiness and heartache. Not deep soul satisfaction. It is a lie. Holiness is not anti-fun. really isn't. Holiness is pursuing what's good. It's pursuing what is helpful, what is loving, what makes a difference. Holiness is being like Jesus. You know, think of Jesus. Okay? And again, if you think of Jesus and you think of this, you know, you know those movies where Jesus just looks kind of like, frankly, a walking corpse who's always... No! No! Jesus, who loved people. People wanted to be around Him. They wanted to be near Him. He loved people. He told them the truth about God. He told them the truth about themselves. He laid down His life to save the lost. That's what it means to pursue holiness, striving to be more like Jesus. Sounds good. It sounds hard, doesn't it? So what's going to motivate us to do that? What's going to motivate us to live that way? Well, look at 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, writing to fellow believers in Jesus, Now we are children of God. This is awesome. You put your trust in Christ, you receive him into your life, and God makes you one of his children. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. You know, we we haven't yet been through that full transformation that Jesus is going to do when he comes. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now this, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So follow the logic. Okay, If we believe in Jesus, then we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to see him, and when we see him, we're going to become like him. That's our destiny. Now, if being like Jesus does not sound like a good thing to you, then I want to urge you, you either don't really have a clear picture of who Jesus is, or your heart's not yet been changed by him. And just I would urge you to plead with him that he would do that. But if it does sound like a good thing to be like Jesus, well, then you're going to pursue being more like him now. See, it makes no sense to say, Yeah, Jesus is awesome. He's the best. He's so loving. He's so strong. He's so courageous, compassionate, good, wise. I can't wait to be like him. It makes no sense to say that and then go out and live as if actually being like him would be completely lame. That makes no sense. To say holiness, who wants that? What a drag. As if there is this 
persistent myth that holiness and happiness don't mix. It drives me nuts every time I hear this. And I've read this many times. I've heard people say, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. It drives me crazy. That's so misleading. Listen, God wants you to be holy because He wants you to be happy. There's no being truly happy apart from holiness. It's a lie. Jesus said, happy are. Okay, it says blessed in your Bibles. Look it up. The word means happy, makarios. Blessed are, happy are the pure in heart. Pure in heart, for they shall see God. Holiness is real happiness. Happiness without regret. Happiness without heartache. Happiness without messing up your life and somebody else's life too. And when Jesus finally comes and He makes us completely holy, that's when we will be completely happy. And that's our destiny. And if you know that, and if you long for that, that motivates you to pursue holiness now. Pursue holiness now. Is it hard? Yeah, it really is. It is. And you know, maybe you're pursuing holiness, but you feel completely beat up, and you're just like, I, you know, I just can't do it. Okay, well, I just want to suggest, if you're really struggling with it, check yourself. If you're trying to do it by yourself, it's not going to happen. You've got to have friends in Christ who encourage you, who help you, and so on. That's why we're here as a church. Okay, that's one. Motivates you to pursue holiness now. Second, another thing it does for you, it liberates you from playing it safe. Okay, when you think about and long for the future Jesus has promised you, it liberates you from playing it safe. We live in a culture that is completely obsessed with safety. Okay, and you know, a certain amount of that's fine, but we just, we take it too far and we, playing it safe becomes a big temptation for us comfort-loving Americans. And so when it comes to, you know, being a Christian, it's like, yeah, sure, yeah, go ahead, believe in Jesus, but don't get carried away. Don't get carried away with this. You know, don't, don't talk to people in a way that, you know, might offend them. Now, let me clarify. We're, we're not to offend people by who we are and how we act. The only thing that's supposed to be offensive is the message of the cross, that you're a sinner and you need Jesus, okay? But, you know, don't say anything that might offend anybody. Don't give too much of your money. Don't get too involved in serving. Don't overdo it. By all means, don't become a missionary or something. What do your parents think? Play it safe. Play it safe. Now, that might sound kind of wise, but it's actually very, very foolish if you know Jesus and what he's promised. Look at Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 36. Let me give you some background. Okay, this was given to people who were feeling the pressure to quit the whole Jesus thing and just go back to their old ways so they would be accepted by their families, so they would fit in with their culture, 
everything would be safe and comfortable again because they had started following Jesus and they got a lot of heat for it. And they're like, you know, maybe we should just go back to how it used to be. Well, the book of Hebrews, one of the big lessons is there's no going back. And look at what he says uh, here. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, received the gospel, become believers, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and, look at this, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Not just accepted it, but joyfully accepted it. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be, future, richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will, future, receive what he has promised. In other words, don't play it safe. Don't play it safe. That's not what following Jesus looks like. Following Jesus involves taking risks. Like loving people enough to tell them the truth, even if they think you're stupid, even if they think you're intolerant. Like speaking out against injustice, even if it gets you into trouble with powerful people. Following Jesus is risky. It, it, it can create conflict in your family. It can create conflict, uh, you know, with, with a friend, with your employer. And it can do worse than that, you know. Uh, some of these people had been thrown in prison. <laughs> they had their property confiscated for following Jesus. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who could totally, this is happening to them right now. Randy Alcorn, who wrote that big book on heaven I've mentioned a couple times, he was actually on the losing side of a, of a massive lawsuit because he had peacefully protested at an abortion clinic protesting the injustice of it. But here's the Bible saying, don't quit. Don't quit following Jesus. Don't take the easy way out. Don't give in to the temptation to play it safe. Even if it costs you everything, accept it joyfully. You hear that? You think, How? How do you do that? Because you have better and lasting possessions waiting for you. That whatever you lose is nothing compared to what you're going to get. Because your confidence in Jesus will be richly rewarded, will be. Because you will receive all that he has promised. See what he's doing? Look at your future. Look at your future. Look at your future. In other words, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And when you know that, and when you remember that, and when you think about that, that helps free you from playing it safe. And you're not going to worry quite so much about what other people think of you. Who cares if you're cool? You won't try so hard to fit in to gain everyone's approval. You have Jesus' approval. You won't hold on to your possessions so tightly. You'll give your money generously to send people like Brad and Sarah Herbst to Madrid or 
multitude of other ways to advance the gospel around the world, sponsor needy children, do other good works. You'll take risks, like forgiving people who've really hurt you. That's risky. Yeah, I've heard people say sometimes, well, yeah, I, I forgive you. I know you didn't really mean to. Well, what if they did mean to? That's when it's hard. You don't need to really forgive a mistake. Take the risk. Show kindness to those who are ungrateful and mean. That's risky. Jesus didn't play it safe. I like this statement. I think it's true. Playing it safe is playing to lose. Playing it safe is playing to lose. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. I'm going to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Listen, listen to this. To love, this is what Jesus calls us to, right? To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it, your heart, intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. But when you know that Jesus will one day transform all of your heartache into joy, that helps free you to take the risks that love requires to love the way he does. One more. When you look forward to your future, it strengthens you to face hard things. It gives you strength to face hard things when you think about, long for the future Jesus has promised. Life can be very, very hard. The mother of a figure skater can lose her eyesight and not be able to see her daughter's face. Children can be born with profound disabilities. An accident can take the life of someone you love. You, one of your family members, a good friend, can come down with a deadly disease. Life in this fallen, broken world can be very, very hard. And even if nothing all that terrible ever happens to you, you still will experience that slow deterioration we call getting older. <laughs> John Glenn once said, there is still no cure for the common birthday. 
No cure for the common birthday. Actually, there is. It's called resurrection. And when that happens, it's going to cure whatever ails you. If you're a believer in Jesus, it will cure whatever ails you and so much more. And when you look forward to that, when you actually anticipate that, when you actually long for that and you expect it, it gives you strength to face life's hardest things. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, we don't despair, though outwardly we are wasting away. <laughs> Amen. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Every time I read that, I think, Paul, so much of what he went through. I mean, read what happened to this guy. I mean, was it two or three times they threw rocks at him and left him for dead, and he was shipwrecked? And I mean, this guy experienced hard stuff. He was in prison, I think, more than he was out of prison. Our light, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See how he's looking ahead? Now, is he saying that hard things aren't really hard? No, 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 no. He's just saying they're not final. They're not final. No matter how hard they are, they're temporary. Okay, so we don't want to read this and then when somebody's going through a hard thing, say, oh yeah, that's nothing. That's not helpful. Okay, they're not light and momentary troubles by experience. They're light by comparison. So let's be careful here. But no matter how hard they are, they're temporary. No matter how long they last, they're temporary. If you're in pain, it hurts. But it's temporary. If you're in a horrible relational mess, it hurts. But it's temporary. If you're facing the loss of your job or your home, it's temporary. If you're lonely or grieved or depressed, it's temporary. If you're desperately unhappy with your situation in life, it's temporary. If you're suffering from an illness you've been told is incurable, it will be cured sooner or later. Your illness is temporary. And if you're at an age where your dreams for this life have become very small, then start dreaming of your life to come. Because this life is temporary. It's temporary. You, okay, if you're younger than 30, just put your brain on pause for a minute. <laughs> but if you're over that, especially if you're way over that, Listen, you're not past your prime. You haven't yet reached your prime. And you won't until Jesus transforms you. Your best days are still ahead of you. And when you really look forward to that, to your ultimate future, it gives you a different perspective. We have got to stop looking in the rearview mirror all the time constantly if you did that driving you'd be a menace 
Well, it's a menace to your spiritual, to your happiness, to your joy, to the joy of those around you to keep looking in the rearview mirror. Look at the future. I love what Randy Alcorn, he says, instead of calling our future existence the afterlife, we should call our present existence the before life. And we've got to help each other with this. Help me with this. Help each other with this. Because we're going to get distracted. You know, right now you're all going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope you are, some of you. <laughs> That's right. Got to keep my eyes on the future. Got to stop looking in the rearview mirror. Amen. And then tomorrow, tomorrow, you're going to be looking in the rearview mirror again going, man, have I screwed it up. Wow. Boy, does this hurt. This is awful. This is... A Eeyore will come out. How do we get Eeyore back in his... What does he live in anyway? <laughs> back in his barn where he belongs. The future. Look at the future. Look at what Jesus has promised you. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory. Now, if you don't yet know Jesus, then that future I'm describing isn't yours yet, but it can be yours. It can be yours if you say, Lord, I want you. I want you. I want to I stop living according to what I think is a good plan, and I want to instead let you tell me what the plan is. And, you know, when I lean on my own understanding, let me trust you. You do that beginning today. We need to pray for each other. I mean, really pray for each other. We need to remind each other. We need to challenge each other to live today in light of that day. And if we do that, it's going to change us for good. Now, this is the last message in this series. So you're not going to hear this again next week and the week after and the week after. Well, not in this way. But if we keep our faces in our Bibles, it's going to be there. Uh, I was praying with a group earlier in Isaiah 40, and one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible, and you read there, and he starts talking about the future. The future. The future. Focus on what God is going to do. What He is going to do for those who love Him who trust in His promises. It'll change us for good. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our Creator, You didn't have to tell us any of this. You did not have, you're under no obligation to us. And you could just tell us to obey, and we would be absolutely obligated to obey. You didn't have to tell us that our future is so great that our present sufferings don't even begin to compare to what's coming. You didn't have to tell us Jesus is going to come and transform us and make our bodies like his glorious body. 
You didn't have to tell us that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You didn't owe us a thing. You are God. And yet you've told us because you love us. You want us to be holy because you want us to be happy. You want us to have the strength to face all the challenges that this sinful, broken world and our sinful, broken bodies experience. God, set us free from the illusion that today is all that matters. Help us carve that sugar coating off temptation when it comes and see the bitterness behind it. And may we say when we see it, Jesus is better. Lord, fill us with a longing for the future you've given us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.